Here's one small clip of an upcoming conversation on this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. Playing goalkeeper is a super lonely position because you are just kind of the only one back there. Like you're everyone's savior when things go well and you are the scapegoat when things don't. Before you hear the rest of that conversation, I'd like to mention Children's Garden, one of my favorite charities to mention on this podcast. I personally know the two people who run this house in the Philippines, where kids who are living on the street or teenagers who weren't really getting education come and live in this house. They oftentimes will finish high school while they're there, head on to college. Amazing stories have happened with these kids who come and live at Children's Garden. I'd highly recommend checking them out at childrensgarden.ph. That link in the show description, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of the podcast. This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. This is the place to be to hear from former Oregon State student athletes to reminisce about their memories in Corvallis, what they did once leaving OSU, and what they're passionate about now. Hello again, everybody. I'm Josh Wharton on the Beaver Tales Podcast. Oregon State had sponsored a men's soccer program for 27 years before the Beavers won a game in the NCAA tournament. In 2014, the Beavers broke through, beating Denver 1-0 to make program history. The goalkeeper in that game for OSU, Matt Bersano, who recorded a clean sheet and pushed the Beavers to the second round. Bersano also set the Oregon State single-season record with 101 saves his sophomore year. But that NCAA tournament victory in 2014 was the last win he'd ever play in at OSU. After starting every game for three years, Matt transferred to Penn State. After finishing his college career in the Big Ten, he's played professional soccer in the U.S. ever since. He signed a multi-year contract in 2017 with the San Jose Earthquakes of the MLS. That's the top league in America. He's also played for their affiliate club in the USL League which is a step below the MLS. As we recorded this on Friday, San Jose was about to go into a match with the Portland Timbers on Saturday. They had just played Portland on Wednesday, so they play them two times in a row. They had just had a 1-1 draw with Portland down in San Jose on Wednesday, and as we talked, they were prepping for a rematch uh, the next day on Saturday. So, to talk about his pro career, memories at Oregon State, and life beyond soccer, his NBA program, here is the six foot one native, of Chandler, Arizona. Please welcome Matt Bersano. Thanks so much, Matt, for joining me down from California. How is San Jose doing? We just got a ton of rain here today, which was much needed. How's it going down there in, in San Jose? Honestly, man, it's it's incredible for for once. We've had a, a pretty tough past six weeks with the fires and whatnot, and so the smoke and everything has been so bad. It's definitely affected our like practice uh, schedule and everything like that. So for once, I mean, there were about two days in a row now of it being under fifty, which is for literally for like six weeks it was above a hundred. So it's been very very pleasant. Wow. Well, you're in San Jose. You've got a match tomorrow as we speak with Portland I'll upload this one on Monday so by that point we'll already have seen you win 5-0 in that match or whatever it may be had a match Wednesday a 1-1 draw with Portland we'll come back and talk about your time in San Jose and your pro soccer career but uh, one kind of quick just to touch on your time at Oregon State and a fun three years you had in Corvallis what was as you kind of think back to your time at OSU even though it's only one of two colleges that you ended up playing for, what was, you know, kind of what made Oregon State a fun place to play for, a favorite memory from your time in Corvallis? 
I think what, like, probably if I had a favorite memory from my time in Corvallis, it would be, uh, uh, before everything else, it'd be the relationship that I built with, I say, my brothers, with Kyrie and with Will. Uh, these are people that, for the rest of my life, will be will be friends, will be family. Um, Kyrie and I have spent countless hours together. We were roommates for two years. Um, just, so, like, so many memories from, from that off the field. But on the field, I think the best memory that, that I have, and I think that we all share together, was kind of uh, turning, I would say, turning the program a bit into a positive after kind of the year's slumps that we were in at the beginning and getting that win in uh, 2014 against Denver. That was huge. The first playoff win for us and something like, I think it was like something like 15 years. Like, who knows? Something, something like that. But yeah, get, getting that was, was huge. Yeah, you had the clean sheet in that game, and, and that was the first program. That was that was history. The first time the program yeah. had ever won an NCAA tournament game, uh, which was pretty impressive. And I'm sure that day uh, stood out a lot in your memory too. Yeah, it was so awesome too because the night was it was I remember because it was a November night and it was just like kind of foggy and it had just the best highest best scenes for for a night in Corvallis to go ahead and get a win especially against a team like Denver who actually was one of my best friends was playing for them and so I technically ended his soccer career it's kind of nice yeah so it's one of those uh kind of bittersweet moments but it was it was amazing experience how hard was it to then transfer I say hard as if it was out of your control but obviously there were things that made you want to go to the Big Ten go to Penn State and and have another opportunity uh you still stay in touch with Kyrie and Will, obviously, but to then leave and go basically all the way across the country, what was that transition like for you? Well, it was a very bizarre time because it wasn't quite as simple as me trying to find another school. It was, I had graduated early, so I was done with my undergrad. Um, I'd broken my ankle my freshman year, so I had that fifth year of eligibility. And so I did three and a half years at Oregon State, was finished with school after three years. So that kind of fall term, all I took was like yoga and something else just to stay eligible, which is pretty awesome. Uh, I think it's yoga and softball might have been. Nice. But uh, yeah, I took those two and then uh, finished out that fall season. We got the, made the tournament, got the win, kind of did. I mean, obviously we wanted to go farther. The Creighton game was a tough one, but uh, just kind of like I said, being part of the turning around of that program was just such a good experience. And from there, I was set to head to uh, Utah and I was going to sign a homegrown contract with Real Salt Lake. That was the original plan. But Real Salt Lake had three signed goalkeepers already on their roster for the upcoming season. And so kind of the offers that I'd gotten from them were to be like the first ever Real Monarch signing, which would have been their USL team. And so while that would have been a pretty crazy experience, and that is something that you end up doing the next year after like a great conversation one-on-one -on -one with their GM, his name was Craig Weibel at the time, uh, goalkeepers can play forever, man. So kind of the idea of go and do something that I haven't done yet. I was already, I'd already talked to Steve Simmons and I told him before that I was leaving to go sign the contract. And so it was one of those situations where they were kind of giving away my scholarship to some, to uh, promote somebody else from below, which is a fantastic opportunity for them. And I, I just felt it would have been tough to kind of come back and potentially do my, start my master's at that, at that moment, you know, after kind of telling them and preparing them for me leaving. So it kind of opened the door. It was a bit of a, of a surprise to Simmons. I know that. And, um, but I think it was done in the most honest possible way of just heading out and trying something new. And for me, I hadn't quite experienced anything on the East Coast. And I haven't ever really had to play cold. I've played wet. I mean, I've played <laughs> countless. I've played soaking wet so many times in Oregon State. But I had yet to be cold. And I was like thinking in my head, 
because after Salt Lake not signing me, I was I was essentially going to be draft eligible for anybody. Uh, they would have they would have lost my rights for homegrown stuff and everything. And so in my head, I was like, shoot, what if I got drafted by New England? Like I, I have no idea how to play in freezing weather. I come from Arizona. I'm used to dry heat or rain. So what like and so I just went to I, I linked up with Penn State at the time I was talking with Penn State in Indiana. And I knew the goalkeeper coach at Indiana. He was a good friend of mine and the goalkeeper coach at Penn state. He and I just clicked uh, straight from the start. His name is Michael Bahanek. I believe he's a hit now. And we kind of just clicked and he, uh, we, like I said, like with Kyrie and with Will, uh, myself and, and Mike Bahanek have a pretty great relationship still. And so I went to Penn state, played a few games and then went on to the next league. It's funny that a large part of what drew you to Penn state was preparing for the climate getting ready to play for, at the next step it, w- it was a way to prepare yourself to play professional soccer and then you end up going to San Jose right back in the sunny warm yeah. place and then your your USL team that you've gotten a lot of playing time in Reno so not exactly mm-hmm. the cold northeast either the f- craziest part about the Reno one was well originally so my first year coming out of coming out of Penn State when I when I left Penn State I signed with Seattle and I spent another year in the Pacific Northwest and so I'd done games with S2 and stuff along the way and just another one of those years in the Silicon but I, I loved my time in Seattle I thought Washington was an awesome state um, and then since then yeah four years in San Jose my first game I remember heading to Reno which was such a bizarre such a bizarre climate. So we didn't know. I, I had to sign my contract early. I signed my contract that that night flew to Reno, played the 9 a.m. game the next morning. And then I think I stayed for like two days to practice. And the game we played was like 60 degrees, not that bad. And then the next day of practice, it was like 20 degrees, uh, sideways snow. And then it was like the next week was like 80. And I was like, where, where, am, where am I? <laughs> like, what is this Northern Nevada? This is crazy. Yeah. But it was, I, I mean, this whole entire time, it's just been a number of just different experiences and kind of just going with the flow along the way. It's a life of a goalkeeper for sure. Right. I, I've never seen an actual physical contract. And I think most of the times they don't always release details on them because they're, you know, sometimes private or whatever it may be. Usually when they get reported, whether whatever sport it is, it's just so-and-so signed for this many years and this much money. And that's the contract. But really what you're signing, I'm assuming is a lot more than just one paragraph of years and money. And that's it. I'm, I bet there's more clauses and things about transferring in the USL and what happens. I, I don't even know. So w- when you're actually looking at the document, whatever you can share, what is it like mm-hmm. to look at a contract and this, the types of thing, things it says and what yours says? What was that like to sign your first pro contract? Yeah. Uh, so that's the, that's the crazy part is when you compare the difference between signing that first contract for S2 and then signing a potential four-year deal for an MLS club. Um, basically, I was on a one-year guaranteed with three option years. And obviously, as I'm finishing up my fourth year of my contract here in San Jose, they picked up my option every single year. So kind of like, and, and I am our voting member for the MLSPA, which is our like player association and stuff. So I've seen all kinds of contracts on that side of it, but basically, yeah. Like when when you're sending your contract, it's like probably like nine pages long. It's got uh, a section in there for your standard player agreements called your SPA, which basically details all the things that you can and can't do as a player. There's a bunch of stuff like as simple as riding a bike, like, how you're covered in insurance and stuff. Are you driving a motorcycle in your free time? Are you going snowboarding? Like literally things like that are just kind of some of the stuff that you can and can't do. And then, um, yeah, they got more details about like 
appearance bonuses, player bonuses, kind of what are some of the uh, incentives and kind of how does, if you were to hit these incentives, how would that trigger things in your contract? Uh, obviously, the one that sticks out the most to everyone is going to be the pay, of course. But uh, a, a lot of times there's a bunch of hidden stuff that's um, maybe guys might be taking less money here, less money there to kind of make it in the back end if they can get the proper playing time and experience and all those things. So, it's, yeah, it's it's a meaty thing for a bunch of people. It's in, Everybody's got something a little bit different. Obviously, I'm a goalkeeper. It's not the sexiest position. And so you compare something like mine, maybe something that Kyrie's been dealing with for the last couple of years, and I'm sure it'll be even different there. What would be an example of an incentive that maybe you have in your contract, if you if you can share that? And, mm -hmm. and do you find yourself uh, thinking about that when playing, like when you've played for Reno, if they've got incentives for when you're playing in the USL, do you, you probably try to block it out and think, I'm not just playing for the money, I'm, I'm playing for the game. But do you find yourself thinking, oh, this many saves or this many appearances and that sort of thing changes how much I end up getting paid? Yeah, so one of one of the the struggles with kind of the USL loans is that um, if you are on an MLS team, you are being basically on paper you make more money than you would if you were in the USL. Mm. What that doesn't attribute into the the equation is how much it costs to live in San Jose, and so like your pre your pay every month could be obviously in excess to what somebody in the USL could be making, but when you're paying thousands of dollars on rent every single month and, and you're like, I mean, we have a nice apartment, but we don't go too far out of our means, you know, like it's, it's just kind of the way it is over here. Uh, obviously Northern California is just really expensive. All California holes is really expensive. And so um, some of those things, like, like a lot of USL players, like all their bonuses, like team win bonuses, shutout bonuses, for the most part, guys who are on MLS contracts can't earn those bonuses because it would be in addition to the salary cap that the MLS players have in their league. And so, uh, yeah, I know a couple times, I know how much it mattered to a couple guys, uh, along the way, it'd be 92nd minute and you could potentially get a couple hundred bucks if you guys just get a shutout and a win. And so I know, I know it matters to a lot of people because you can see how it is on, I mean, to, to some, especially on a USL contract, that's great money. I mean, that's, that's date money. <laughs> you have a date night because of something like that, you know? So it's kind of one of those where you can tell how it matters, but I mean, everyone is so competitive in their own way that it's not even necessarily about the money, but when the game ends, you're pretty happy with what's coming in. You've gotten to play a ton for Reno and then uh, suit up a lot for San Jose. Oftentimes, like tomorrow, you said you may you know, be on the bench. If you know Vega gets injured, you're right in there playing against the Portland Timbers. You have appeared in one game for San Jose in a friendly, and it was against Manchester United. Mm -hmm. How in the world did that happen? How nervous were you to play your first MLS game against Man U? Yeah, it was an amazing experience. Uh, we played at Levi Stadium, which is where the San Francisco uh, 49ers play. And I think we had about 33,000 people there, which is about 13 more thousand than can fit into our stadium in San Jose. And so it was going to be obviously one of the loudest and the most packed stadiums that we've been in um, during our time in California. And uh, yeah, I got told the day before that I likely will play the next day. And as always with kind of goalkeeping, sometimes it's uh, – whether it's a motivation thing, whether it's a work ethic thing, something like that, you just, a lot of the communication just kind of isn't there. It's just a part of the professional game because they're usually trying to prep that starting 11 to go in there and do their job. Right. And so all of a sudden I get told the night before I might play the next day, might not show up to the stadium. They're like, Hey, yeah, you're going to go the second half. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And so uh, JT played the first half and I played the second half and we both had two shutouts and it was just a amazing experience. I mean, like these are guys that, Obviously, everyone said you watch them on TV, you play with them in FIFA, all that type of stuff. But like when you're in the middle of the game and we're like setting up a defensive free kick and Juan Mata is about to 
cross the ball in. Like you're, you're, it's just a different, it's a different thing. Or Alex, Alexi Sanchez gets a through ball hit to him and you're like, I thankfully it was offside, but still made the save on the breakaway. Like some of those things are just crazy. I remember Ander Herrera uh, was amazing that game. So it was just such a, such a fun experience playing against these guys. And I mean, we tied zero zero and 2018 wasn't that great of a year for San Jose. So being able to kind of take a positive away from that and get that first experience and play in front of the fans is, is awesome. Who who did you play at? I'm assuming you dabble at least a little in FIFA, or maybe you're a big FIFA guy. Who do you usually play as, or do you do you play as yourself and go to San Jose or Man U? Or who do you go as? Absolutely not. I I grew up a Real Madrid fan, but I I actually don't play too much uh, video games. I'm I'm doing my NBA right now, so I really don't have much free time. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I just I wasn't as much as a gamer. That's definitely a Kyrie and and Will thing for sure. But when when we do play, yeah, I've always been a Real Madrid fan since the Galacticos back in the early 2000s. Yep. That, that was a lot of fun playing. My game was FIFA 06. I think Ronaldinho okay. on the cover, or was that 05? I think it was 06, whatever it was. I mean, I mean both years he was amazing, both <laughs> of those years. So he, he was class. Yeah. What does make you passionate enough to both balance your soccer career and do an MBA to try to set yourself up for something after soccer? What, what is it you're passionate about and makes you want to put in the time to do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I eventually, uh, growing up and kind of going through the, the years in college, like I eventually always thought like maybe I would wait and do maybe like a GA, which is a graduate assistant role, and, and maybe coach college when I was done or something like that. But kind of as we played and we have a partnership in the MLS with Southern New Hampshire University, and so we're able to get these these online classes at obviously a discounted rate. And it was kind of just too good to be true. It was like it made no sense not to do it. And so at the, at the beginning I was doing uh, one class. I just started last year. I was doing one class a term and then last term, which was uh, ended a couple weeks ago, I did three MBA classes during the term while we were in Orlando. And that was, well, was too much. It was, it was awesome to get it done, but it was, it was too much. And so now I'm back on just two. So I'm doing two a term and I should be done by about June next year. Okay. What do you think that'll be like whenever your soccer career does end? Hopefully that's years from now and you get to play a long time and achieve a lot of your goals. But whenever that day does come eventually, what do you think will be kind of your goal, both in terms of what you want to accomplish vocationally, you know, a dream job, whatever it may be, but also kind of beyond that, the person you want to be and the impact you want to make on, on the community around you? Yeah, uh, I think as of right now, I think what I love so much about this profession is that I don't know where my forever home is yet. Yeah. I don't know where I'll end up. I have no idea. And it's kind of a beautiful thing. And so right now my girlfriend and I are preparing for anything. As I said, my contract's ending here. No idea if I'll be here next year or somewhere else. It's just kind of a part. It's the beauty of the game. It's uh, it's amazing. It's fun. It's stressful. It's, it's everything. And so for me, seeing more and more of these areas and more of these communities and getting to live in other places and experience different cultures and everything like will kind of dictate what I end up doing because right now I just kind of like the open, open canvas. Uh, originally, like I said, I thought I would be a uh, college coach and um, I would always want to be a college goalkeeper coach. I never want to be a head coach. That was never my intention. So I'd always be a college goalkeeper coach. And then now, like if that were to happen, like that'd be awesome. But maybe uh, some of the hours and some of the stuff that has to be put in to be a college coach, like it's, it's a lot of work. And maybe kind of, I can see with this MBA, I might understand a little bit more of the technical side of things and it could be a technical director for an MLS or USL club, or it could even get into the type of situation where you could be like a GM or something in the future too. Uh, after talking with guys like Craig Weibel and other people who are operating as GMs in MLS clubs, learning a bit more about it. I think just the open canvas and the years and years of experience playing, 
I think will give kind of just the ability to network and meet people and find out which like niche I want to be a part of and, and what seems like the best move for myself and my family at that time. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. Um, what's the name of the, the MBA? So Southern New Hampshire, what's the name of the program, mm-hmm. the degree you're getting? Uh, an MBA with concentration in sports management. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, you could take that into kind of sports marketing positions. Like right now I'm doing a marketing and strategy class and I'm doing a leadership of an organization class. So it's kind of hitting both sides of it. And you can even take that potentially into an athletic director position, being able to be a college AD or being a high school AD, or as far as uh, maybe getting into kind of a sports management, maybe go back and get a doctorate in sports management and kind of do something there. So it's, it's just like, I feel like honestly, the possibilities are endless. I'm in no rush to hang up the boots anytime soon. As long as my body and mind, it makes sense to keep playing. I'll keep doing it. And so kind of, it's nice to know that we're making the small steps right now to prepare myself for after, for sure. Yeah. A, a last question or two. I, I've wanted to ask this often of, of goalies in particular, because being a keeper is such an interesting facet of sports. Every sport and, and position within that sport has its own nuances, but keepers in particular, it feels like such a sudden uh, disappointing moment when you get scored on, whereas in other sports, you know, in basketball, you get scored on every other play and pitchers will give up, you know, maybe five to 10 hits in a game. But when you're a keeper, you may give up one or two goals. And that one moment is, you know, extremely frustrating in that one, you know, five second span that you see the ball go into the back of the net. I can only, I can only think of. So how do you handle that mentally of it's a different sort of failure. Every athlete fails or has moments where they don't play the best, but a goalkeeper, it's a little bit different, more pointed, more sudden in, in how you handle that. So how have you managed to bounce back from that mentally and not get so down when you get scored on? Yeah, I think kind of the easiest way that I've heard this described, and it's just so true, playing goalkeeper is a super lonely position because you are just kind of the only one back there. Like you're, you're everyone's savior when things go well, and you are the scapegoat when things don't. And that's just a real way of looking at it. I mean, it's not always that. It's not black or white on that one, but it's just so often that's the case. And I mean, it can be frustrating. Like you're back there, you feel like you do everything right. And sometimes you can be so eager to make an impact on it that you can kind of make a split decision. And then you look back on it and you're like, if I were, if I were a foot back, I would have caught that ball. It would have been easy, easy save. Instead I'm a foot higher and I get the ball goes over or around or bounces, whatever the case may be. I mean, and you also just have to have a short-term memory. That's how it is. Cause when, when things happen in, in the middle of stuff, like if you're hung up on the last play, you're going to get a pass back. You're going to have a pass you have to do right after that. You're going to have to switch the play. You're like, your team is counting on you to do something immediately after. You obviously hope that you don't have to be involved every single play. The best games that you play are the same games you don't have to make saves because that means your team was dominant and you guys got the the job done. But uh, yeah, I mean, the short-term memory and kind of just just seeing that it's a 90-minute game, it's a 24-foot wide goal. Like, it's a big goal. So you can only do so much to kind of save everything. So you got to just be able to um, pick it. Like, you got to be able to decide. You got to be honest with yourself about stuff that you can do and can't do that can help the team. When I see goalies being scored on, it's very common to me, you would know this better than I would, for the goalie to immediately get up off the ground and and yell, be very vocal at the defenders, oftentimes because they did do something wrong and because goalies are they have to be the vocal leaders of the defense, so they're just naturally pretty loud. So it's pretty common 
do, do you kind of take that element when you, when you get scored on? Or are you the yeller? Or I saw JT when Marcin Kowski got scored on yesterday. He doesn't seem like a yeller. At least yesterday, I saw him get up, and he was very encouraging. He didn't do that. So mm-hmm. every goal is a little bit different. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Uh, I, I'm weird, man. I'm not a, I'm not a normal goalie. Uh, I've always kind of considered my goalies are nuts. I've always kind of considered myself as like a field player with gloves. It's always the way I've okay. done it because I've always tried to, to be – I've always tried to have the best feet on any team I was on, I've always tried to be at that, obviously we're at the MLS level playing with some world-class players. So it's very hard, but I've always tried to be in the middle of the pack on uh, or above average on speed. I've always tried to be above average on whatever, just like competing in those, those kind of numbers. And so it's, it's the same in the communication aspect. Like as you watch and you asked the question before, like, how do you get over that goal? Like we had two shots against us the other day. We had the JT made a fantastic save in the second half. And then you have a shot that went in for a goal. I still thought he had a great game. I thought he played a great game, but, that's a 50% save percentage that yeah. that's the life of a goalkeeper. It's not always on your side. I mean, you play 10 games, all of a sudden it'll kind of recalibrate and be kind of a little more uh, averaged out, but, but you play one game and you have two shots on target. One's a goal. One's not, I mean, it, it can be frustrating for sure, but you watch that game and you know that he did what he needed to do to get, the, get us the tie. And that's kind of how it goes uh, for myself and for that play specifically for JT as well. Um, I just, I don't always think, like when you pop up and start screaming, like who's that helping? Uh, if it's a certain play that was talked about, like, cause we watch it, we watch film. We know exactly what it is. If it's a corner kick and we say, if this guy's hand is up and this ball is going to go to here and that ball goes to there and you don't have your mark, I can just look straight into someone's eye and they know they messed up. And mm-hmm. it's the same one. Paul Marie felt that goal was on him and that he goes back and, and he knows, he knows he, he got kind of done up by speed and got, got turned off by Chara and was, was able to get the goal and he knows. So JT popping up and screaming at Paul to do better. What is it going to do? It, I mean, we, like, like I said about having the short-term memory, you need these guys to be on your side. And so I think that's been one of my pieces because it can be pretty difficult for a goalkeeper to kind of go and, and only one place, like you said, only one place. And for a lot of the time, you're not even involved. Uh, you're kind of you're, you're doing a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. And I think one of my roles here in San Jose has been to try to help these young guys kind of be prepared so that when Jacob goes into the game, Jacob Akinyarj, when he gets his first start, his first MLS debut last game, he goes in and, and he kills it because he's prepared because of all the times that we've yelled at him in practice about where he should be and all these other stuff. So by the time he gets to the game, he can just apply what he needs to do to get us a result. And a 1-1 tie at home. No one's necessarily celebrating that, but I mean, this is such an interesting year. We just kind of got to go out and get the points when you get the points. It's been a lot of fun to hear your experiences. Uh, Best of luck tomorrow against the Timbers. I'm not saying I hope that your teammate gets hurt, but I hope you get in either tomorrow or sometime soon and and get a chance to follow up in your Man U game and get another chance to play. But thanks for talking with me, Matt. And I definitely appreciate that. I'm ready for the opportunity whenever it arrives. Well, I hope Matt does get a chance to get into an MLS game. Like we said, one chance in a friendly against Manchester United and then a whole bunch of games playing for their USL team in Reno. But a fun career so far for Matt, and I have a feeling that he's going to be playing for several years longer and then have a chance to do some big things in sports, but from a more administrative level. Or maybe he'll get the coaching bug and do some of that. Who knows? But uh, I think Matt's got a bright future ahead of him and really enjoy just talking about kind of the nuances of goalkeeping and contract signing, just sort of the things that maybe you might be curious about but never have had a chance to ask an athlete. Maybe you're not an expert on soccer, but I was kind of interested in a lot of those kind of small bits and pieces in and outside 
of the great game itself. Hoping to get a couple other men's soccer guests. As always, if you've got any recommendations of who you think I should get on this podcast, just join the email list for this podcast and you'll be able to respond to the first email I send and start a conversation. There'll be a link in this description. It'll say, uh, check out the Beaver Tales documentaries, a website on there where you can subscribe to updates of the documentaries in this podcast and you can uh, start a conversation on there and let me know your thoughts, any feedback you've got. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. I always enjoy talking with former Oregon State student athletes. They've always got a unique story and looking forward to keeping this going. Until next time, everybody, good night and go Beavs.